Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. The Journey, a 16-week odyssey of grit, determination, endurance, and will, where the weak are exposed and the strong revered. From Bleed Entertainment, this is Falcon's Flight. Insights and analysis on your Atlanta Falcons. Now, here's Robert Taylor and your host, Brian Giffen. It is Falcons Flight, the much-awaited edition number 25. Brian Giffen with you today. Robert Taylor is on vacation, so he will not be joining us for this episode. But fear ye not, because we have an insider, Scott Johns, who will spend some time with us to digest what's happened so far and project what will happen going forward over what promises to be an eventful and already has been an eventful off-season for the Atlanta Falcons. Before we move forward on that, however, and we've got other good stuff coming up for you a little bit later, we remind you that football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing, and the only place you should be betting on those sports is at betonline.ag. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Boy, you can bet on anything. BetOnline has hundreds of props and real-time odds on almost anything you can imagine, And, of course, the 24-hour online casino. Yep, that rascal never closes. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Well, joining us via the telephone is our friend Scott Johns, who is a regular visitor to this program. And, Scott, let's digest this a little bit. Obviously, some moves have been made. The last time that we had you on, I think they had just moved in the direction of the coach and general manager, and they've gotten right to work predictably because of the cap situation and how eventful off-seasons are. And as of now, the Falcons are still above what will be the projected cap, but significant names cut thus far. Kurt Bankert, third-string quarterback. James Carpenter, a veteran offensive lineman. Ricardo Allen, who's been a mainstay for the Birds. And Allen Bailey, who was an effective defensive lineman. And, of course, that's a position they're going to need going forward. What are your thoughts on the moves they've made so far? Well, first of all, thanks for having me, like always. It's interesting, certainly, you know, Ricardo Allen was kind of a projected cut just because he's owed a lot of money. He got a really decent contract a couple of years ago when they kind of knew that they left it open on his contract to be a cap casualty. Ricardo's a very good leader. I take nothing away from what he's brings from a leadership role, getting guys in a position pre-snap, really being able to identify packages and getting guys in their places. But, you know, his on-field performance, unfortunately, was uh, was subpar. And, and unfortunately, he was out of position a lot. This was an easy, easy decision from the new staff to take a look at him and go, yeah, Unfortunately, he's not worth the money that we're paying, especially while we're trying to free up cap space. Alan Bailey was a bit of a surprise to me just because I thought 
with Dean Pease, I, I really thought he was going to fit into that 3-4 defense that Dean likes to run. He would have been the perfect defensive end in that defense. But again, the money's always going to talk the loudest. And unfortunately, he was just one of those cap casualties, as we mentioned. Now, Kurt Benkert was good. Young guy, strong arm. Really, you could tell he really loved the game. But, uh, you know, the new staff has no allegiance to him. And he was owed less than a million dollars. And unfortunately, they decided to cut bait on him because he was, you know, I guess in their mind, from the turnover, he was a bit of a known commodity. So now they've got to kind of assess the offense, assess the defense from a depth standpoint and build accordingly. They're going to have to look at the defensive side of the ball and go find players, you know, kind of in the bargain bin, so to speak, for an agency that's going to fit the system that the MPs likes to run. And, of course, you have the draft. They're going to have to do their due diligence there because you're probably going to have to get four day one starters out of this draft to be able to contend. But they've just started the process, and, and you know I trust these guys to know what they're doing. You know, when you look at this whole thing, obviously the salary cap and where they are in a bit of cap hell as it stands, you're kind of at a crossroads here because obviously the expectation is to try and win right away. I think monetarily it'd be difficult, as many have talked about, to do much with Matt Ryan and Julio Jones as we sit here today. But nothing is really off the table. The one thing, Scott, is if things go the way they want them to and the team performs pretty well based on expectation, et cetera, et cetera, this coming fall, then you'd probably draft a quarterback in the draft because when's the next time if things go well, you're going to be as high as four and have players the ilk of the quarterbacks at the top of this draft that are there right now. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the conundrum. They've got a real decision to make. It's every year in the league is a win-now year. There's really no such thing as a rebuild anymore. You have to do it as a transition, a smooth transition, and the expectation is always going to be to make the playoffs. No owner in their right mind, no ownership group in their right mind is going to go into a season going, you know, we're probably going to go 5-11 and this year, 5-12 and given the extra game. But no ownership group in their right mind is going to think, hey, we're going to have a losing season, but at least we'll have a high draft pick. It's always about winning now, and you've got to win with the tools that you're given. And the Falcons are in a particularly hairy situation because they've got only 37 players on the roster right now under contract. They've got to round out the roster with free agency, you know, probably bargain free agents and the draft. So it's a tough position to be in for them. And as they look at quarterbacks, it's certainly tempting at four to take one because you don't know who's going to be there. Obviously, projected number one pick is Trevor Lawrence. We all think he's going to go number one, and, and he is, you know, to Jacksonville. But as you look at the Jets at two, you really have to wonder what they're going to do. As the Falcons build their big board, they're going to have to kind of compete with those top three teams right there in order to get the guys that they want should they want to take the quarterback. But the name that I'm hearing more and more every week is Zach Wilson. You know, and I talked about him on the last call, but you know, he's a guy that I think is has got a lot of upside, and he's kind of that new era quarterback that, that people love. Can you know, lots of mobility, strong arm, and seems to love the game, and think the Falcons you know could really benefit from his services, obviously in the future, because Matt's not going to be here forever, probably another two years given his contract. Do you take a quarterback at four? That's the million dollar question going into the uh, April's draft, and if they do. You know, you're kind of sacrificing some depth and some really not even depth, a, a full day one starter, whether it's a pass rusher or a secondary piece or something like that. But it's a tough call for them to make. And also, you always have the option to trade that number four pick, trade back and collect more picks 
to give yourself that depth. There's just a million options right now for that front office to really digest, and it's going to be interesting to see what they do with it. Well, there are many areas that obviously need to be addressed here. I mean, gosh, we talked about the defensive line. you got to find an edge rusher to pair with Dante Fowler, assuming that he's still here. Yet, because of cap considerations, you had to move on from an Allen Bailey. That's not something that's easily fixed. Let's face it, every team in the league is always looking for edge rushers. Yeah, you're almost tempted to go there with your first pick. Or, like I said, you do trade down, take one middle of the first round to maybe get the first or second best pass rusher, at least on paper, available. Pay from Michigan comes to mind. I think he's probably going to be the premier guy and probably the first one off the board. It just depends on where he goes. If you don't have a pass rush in this league, especially the way this league is evolving with these mobile quarterbacks, they're so pass-centric, you know, you got to be able to put pressure on the quarterback. And that was part of the problem last year is Atlanta got almost no pressure on the quarterback, especially in the second half of the year. And when they did, it was always dialed up pressure. And good quarterbacks will find that vacant area left vacant by those blitzes. So it's just a matter of time before we're exposed again without at least a good pass rush. It doesn't have to be great, but it has to be good. And, of course, that's been a glaring area for a while with the Falcons, another glaring area. What are you going to do about this running game that has largely struggled for several years? The Todd Gurley thing did not work out the way that they wanted it to. You know, running backs, Scott, and you can weigh in on this, I mean, running backs have such a limited shelf life sometimes. I'm reminded of Sean Alexander, who lit it up for the Seahawks years ago, and I wonder if Todd Gurley has kind of passed that mark on the running back career chart where, you know, there's not the same amount of juice in the tank that there was really just a couple of years ago based on attrition and the fact, you know, the beating that he's taken, the load that he's carried, all of those things. And you could also make the case that they really didn't necessarily use him as a primary threat. I know they wanted to limit his carries, but you have to have that running game to counter what you're doing with the rest of your offense. And they haven't had that for several years. Gurley obviously wasn't the answer. Yeah, Gurley got off to a nice start in terms of scoring. I think in his first eight games, he had nine touchdowns. He thought, hey, he might end up scoring 15 or 16 touchdowns this year. Now, that hasn't been done since Michael Turner in 2008 to have a running back scoring at a clip like that. But if you look at the other running backs on the team with Edo Smith and Brian Hill, you know, they made the most of their carries for the most part. So you wonder what the difference was. I think it's a couple things, really. Situationally, they weren't used on first down and second down. They were used more as kind of off-speed backs, and sometimes that can give you a nicer avenue to run, so to speak. So I think it really starts up front, though, Brian. You know, if you think about where we were a year ago in terms of the offensive line, we've got some guys on the, on the field that can block, but if you're not consistent throughout your, you know, with your guards and your center and your tackles, especially being on the same page with that continuity, you're not going to create a lot of running lanes. I think that's one thing that Arthur Smith is looking at now when he's assessing this team and the talent and looking at tape. He's probably going, okay, we need a couple of road graders, probably at center with Alex Mack probably leaving, you know, and of course the left guard vacancy now. Do we go find a couple journeymen that can get it done in free agency that'll play for, you know, I don't want to say peanuts, but relative to other free agents, that's probably what they're going to have to take on, a, on maybe a prove-it deal or something of that nature. But you got to find guys that can just maul. And I think that's going to be the focus to fix the run game. And then you have a shot, at least maybe early in the second round, should you stay put, to get Najee Harris or someone like that or Travis Etienne. Go find yourself a premier back in the draft. You know, there's a few guys that come to mind. So a couple kids from UNC that I, I really like. Obviously, Najee Harris, like I mentioned, or Travis Etienne. Any of those guys will probably give you nice production if you shore up the offensive line. And in my mind, 
that's going to be priority number one in the offseason is finding guys that can get off the ball and, and really make some room for these guys to run because otherwise you're going to be right back in the same position. You go out and draft a guy like Najee Harris and you don't fix the offensive line, he's going to be considered a bust because he's not getting running lanes that he needs to perform. You know, it's more a rarity than a commonality, but it's been proven in a lot of cases that you can find a competent complement piece running back in the draft. And the best example I can give you is Jonathan Taylor for the Colts. Started a little bit slowly, but really found his stride and performed very well down the last six weeks of the season. And now it appears that they've got a pretty solid running back and you figure that at some point, you know, they'll build some depth in behind him. That's another franchise that similarly had struggled with the running game for a long, long time. And when Taylor was drafted, there wasn't a whole lot made of it, but he showed himself this year, proved it on the field, that he could be that piece and that feature back. They're hard to find and it's hard to identify, but it's a vital, vitally important position on the team. Well, there's no question. You have to be able to run the football, especially on early downs. You know, you hear it week in and week out. If you can win on first down, your sustained drives are going to be more plentiful. And it's definitely true, especially in an offense like we run, which you anticipate Arthur Smith's going to run here. See, And again, I think the Colts, they invested high draft picks into their offensive line the last two or three years. In fact, they have the best guard in football in Quentin Nelson. Yeah, he might be a left tackle by the time the season begins, but that's another story for another time. Yeah, he's that versatile, but it goes to show you how well they've drafted, you know, and finding a guy like that, you know, when he came into the league, people knew he was good, but he's been the best in his position, certainly. And again, I think Arthur Smith has got so much on his plate in terms of areas of need on this team. Starts on the offensive line and the defensive line. You know, I think I've told you this before, Brian, but I'm a big proponent of building from the trenches, solidifying your offensive line to be able to run the ball and protect your quarterback. And of course, your defensive line to be able to stop the run and get pressure on the quarterback. You build everything out from there. Your linebackers can certainly run and hit faster when they have a defensive line that are holding their blocks. And then your offensive line, obviously, when you're that versatile, it makes your whole offense dynamic. So I believe it starts in the trenches. It seems like Arthur Smith and Mr. Fontenot certainly subscribe to that notion as well. And and I'm hoping that's where they're going to address our areas of need build from the inside out. And I think that's a method that's worked for a lot of teams outside of maybe the Chiefs. Other than that, I mean, I can't think of anyone that has a a weak offensive or defensive line that that make it year in and year out. And that's unfortunately where we've struggled the past few years. You know, I worked with Don Sutton for eight years, and he used to always tell me, many analytics, as many saber metrics, as many of all those things as there are, there's no pitch more important in the sport of baseball than strike one. Similarly, and you referenced this a few moments ago, it's a vital thing. As much as we live in an era of analysis and stats and all these things, winning on first down is the key to winning football games and being successful. I'm talking about probably six-plus yards on first down. If you can achieve that, the difference in your record could be eight to ten wins. Yeah, I completely agree. Talk about the game plan week in and week out, and it's staying on schedule because when you game plan throughout the week, you've got certain calls for certain situations. And when you do that, you're assuming that you're going to be in certain down distances and staying on schedule with the chain, so to right. speak. And that's what they call it when you're on schedule. And you can get even four to five yards on first down can be huge. Then you've got second and third down to pick up five to six yards, you know, then the whole playbook is open to you. It makes you certainly less predictable. That's why you go back to 2016 when this offense was historically good under Kyle Shanahan. We consistently won on first down, and it was with a mix of screen passes, short passes, effective zone running game. A lot of it, you never knew where it's coming from, and that's why we were able to stay on schedule. Very seldom did teams ever take us off that schedule, and that's why we won a lot of ball games and put up a lot of points. 
So they're trying to get back to that. I mean, they know what they've got with this core offense. They know they've got Ridley on the outside, Julio on the outside. Hayden Hurst is a very good tight end. I no really doubt. like watching that kid play. They've got all the weapons there. Give your running back and quarterback some protection and, and watch how this offense goes. A lot of it, of course, you have to have a system and philosophy in place to succeed with inventive play calls and dynamic play calls and things of that nature. But it starts, I'll run this into the ground. You have to protect your skill position, and that starts with your center guards and tackles, of course. You've been around the franchise a long time in a working capacity, but you also have essentially followed it tooth nail and everything else most of your life. So as we sit right here, and obviously this is pure speculation, which in this age everybody loves, do you have any insights? Do you have any thoughts on other things we might see? Some surprises, some other developments that take place now as we wind our way toward the new league year. Of course, the TV deals hang in the balance. That sets the salary cap. What do you think or what wouldn't surprise you and what things do you think they might do as we move forward and steamroll toward that new league year and free agency and all of that? Well, I think it's the year over year is the league gets older and older and there's more data to analyze the quarterback position is becoming more and more important this is a quarterback driven league and has been for some time but i think that's being shown even more now look at tampa they went from seven to nine with Jameis winston to winning the super bowl with tom brady of course they had a couple small pieces but for the most part the quarterback was the difference you're not throwing 30 interceptions in the season and having probably the greatest quarterback of all time it makes all the difference in the world so you wonder if the falcons front office looking at that and going hey we may want to go secure our guy now because teams that have higher you know, foresight in this league are the ones that are usually in the playoffs, you know, contending for the Super Bowl. And what I mean by that is drafting your quarterback while your franchise quarterback is still playing. Take Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre, for instance. I mean, having your next guy in the building as your next guy is leaving from a learning standpoint, from a continuity standpoint, is just so important. But I think, Brian, it's kind of funny to think about now and we're kind of in the midst of a change. We're not going to realize it's being changed for years to come because what I think is happening is the NFL is a business and we all know that and before anything it's entertainment it's business but you can't let your fan base stay the same age and what I mean by that is you have to get younger you have to appeal to the younger crowd that's through social media that's through you know the entertainment these players with a lot of star power that are getting followed on social media the star power is so important in the NFL these days and what it's what keeps the fans engaged Secondary to that, I think, is fantasy football. But I think keeping the younger fans engaged and having them develop their love for the game as the older fans get older and phase out, I think it's important to bring in that new era. And as that new era comes in, you're going to have to adapt to that. You know, that means big plays. That means strong arm quarterbacks. That means, you know, big play wide receivers and all that. And I think that's the way the league is going. And I think that's the way it's going to continue to go as we usher in this new phase and this new fan base as it were so that's kind of where we are now and i can't say that i dislike it because it certainly is ever changing and you know leagues can get stale i mean they really can you look at baseball over the years sometimes fans would argue that it's kind of the same year in and year out until you get these superstars that come in and are so marketable but to answer your question brian as far as the falcons goes i'm real interested to see if they're going to get their next quarterback with the number four pick or if they're in win now mode because they feel the pressure from the top and arthur blank to win now that's quite the tightrope because who's to make that call? And that's why those guys get paid what they get paid. But it's going to be really fun to watch all of this unfold in April. And who knows? I mean, they could go a direction that none of us expect. Final thing for you, Scott, and this is more league-wide, but 
quarterback movement. Obviously, since we last spoke, the Matthew Stafford deal, Jared Goff goes to Detroit, which is akin to being dispatched to hell unless something changes dramatically. <laughs> but but uh, aside from that, Matthew Stafford goes to L.A. It'll be interesting to see how he performs you know, with a pretty good team and obviously a very good offensive-minded coach. And the one that I'm curious to see how it turns out the most is Carson Wentz back to the Colts. I believe Carson Wentz may be one of those guys that, you know, change of scenery, you've got to rebuild his confidence. You know, you've gotten him out of that, back to that hell thing, fan base in Philadelphia where there's zero patience for anything but ultimate success, and they might still boo you even then. I think Carson Wentz behind that O-line that you referenced a little bit earlier, a good running game with Jonathan Taylor, and reunited with Frank Reich, where when Frank was there, he had his best season, went 11-2. and I know he got injured and didn't go win the Super Bowl. That's well known that Nick Foles did. But I believe Carson Wentz may be primed to really step back into the big time and to lead that franchise to who knows what kind of heights. But of the moves, considering what they gave up and what the conditions in that deal were, I think the Colts really may have gotten something there. Yeah, Wentz is a very capable quarterback. And most times, more so than any other position, in my opinion, the quarterback position can be refreshed just by a change of scenery. And look, he's going to be playing indoors now. I think that's a factor. Yeah, Being back with his play color that he's very comfortable with is another factor. Having weapons that, quite frankly, he didn't have in Philadelphia is going to be another factor. Offensive philosophy, probably checkmark goes to the Colts there, too. I think it's a really good change of scenery for him. I expect the Colts to contend. I really do. They've got a very good defense, and that's going to be the biggest difference in it all is the Colts have a very, very good defense. They're going to have the ability to kind of build around Carson over the next couple of years, and don't be surprised if they're making deep playoff runs. I mean, Carson's very able, and if he can stay healthy, and that's the big if, it wouldn't surprise me one bit to see the Colts, you know, go contend for a championship. But to your first point, though, I feel like the quarterback movement in this league is kind of a symptom of a bigger problem, in my opinion. These quarterbacks and these big athletes are able to kind of call their shots and, and will their way out of their teams. You know, you look at Deshaun Watson in Houston, who flat out refuses to play for Houston now. Looks like Russell Wilson wants to get traded out of Seattle and it's looking more and more like that's going to happen. He makes $35 million a year, man. Come on. But, yeah, I'm with you. It's ridiculous to think. But now, I mean, this is, you know, 10 years ago, this was unheard of. Very seldom did you ever have a a quarterback that demanded a trade. And then, of course, ownership really doesn't have a choice but to trade him. You're not going to start a disgruntled quarterback and mess up your mojo. You have to kind of cut bait and move on to the next one. And that's kind of a sad situation because you're kind of letting the players run the league where the owners should be saying, hey, you signed a contract, you're going to fulfill that contract, especially with what, you know, to your point, what these guys are making. I don't agree with it. You know how much I love the NFL, but I don't like the way it's turning into the players are able to kind of run the show there. It should still be the owners and leadership within these organizations saying, hey, you're going to play. But it's also the onus falls on them from the player side to create an environment where the players do want to play. So it's tough. You know, at the end of the day, it's a business, a high price business where these guys are making incredible amounts of money. So there's a lot at stake here. There's a lot of moving parts. But at the end of the day, when you're hired to do a job, I think you should see that contract through. I mean, that's just kind of maybe it's a generational thing, but it's kind of losing its luster as we progress. Lots of things to watch for sure as the off season intensifies and some of these earmarks on the calendar approach the beginning of the league year then the draft etc cetera, etc cetera, mini camps and on so on and so forth the nfl scotty might be the one league that the off season in some opinions 
is as entertaining and sometimes more entertaining and more dynamic even than the regular season is. But it's going to be fun to watch what happens with Deshaun Watson. It's going to be fun to watch what happens with J.J. Watt, for instance, and various others. But, man, as always, we appreciate you joining us, and obviously we'll look forward to talking to you again soon as some of these things begin to crystallize in the weeks ahead. Yeah, man, always enjoy talking to you. I appreciate it. All right, Scott Johns of the Atlanta Falcons, kind enough to spend some time with us here on Falcons Flight. This is edition number 25, and it's time for us to take a break. When we come back on the other side, we'll get a unique perspective. Mark, the commissioner, Mark Rich, will join us to offer some insight of a true avid fan, a member of the Bird Gang tailgating crew that's uh, celebrated pregame and stealthily at times, I might add, down at uh, Be at the Georgia Dome or Mercedes-Benz. We'll get Mark's take from a fan perspective on the offseason for the Falcons, the moves he feels they should make, and what he feels about the ones that they've made so far. This is Falcons Flight. It's edition number 25. It's a presentation of Believe Entertainment. I'm Brian Giffen. Robert Taylor is not here. He is on vacation this week, but we soldier on without him nonetheless. And we will do some more of that soldiering on the other side of this timeout. Falcons Flight, a presentation of Believe Entertainment, the number one site for podcast professionals. Do you believe? We certainly do. Like us, share us, rate us, and tune in every week. Back with more right after this. Mr. Hardwood is Atlanta's premier flooring expert, but Hardwood is just the beginning. Mr. Hardwood also installs laminate, tile, vinyl, carpet, and more. Your home is likely your biggest investment. Not only can you enhance its value with beautiful new floors, but our lifetime transferable warranty will enhance the value even more. If you stand on it, Mr. Hardwood stands behind it. Mr. Hardwood is committed to setting the industry standard for all your uniquely designed and professionally installed flooring solutions. Our number one goal is to exceed our customers' needs by providing value, quality, and exceptional service even after the sale. We take great pride in high-quality craftsmanship and integrity and are not satisfied until we have exceeded your expectations. Mr. Hardwood, Atlanta's flooring experts. To set up your free consultation, call Mr. Hardwood today at 770-318-8880 or go to mrhardwoodinc.com. Like in football, whether it's in business, recreation, or life, you need a game plan. Is your computer running slow? Is it infected with viruses or malware? Maybe you're a gamer and really want a custom-built computer specifically for gaming. Perhaps like us, you want a lightning-fast, state-of-the-art, solid-state drive to replace that clunky, old-school one in your machine. Your game plan for any of this should be Computers Plus. A lot of the components we use to produce and bring you Falcon's Flight have been upgraded or provided by Computers Plus. Computers Plus is located in Ackworth, Georgia at 3330 Cobb Parkway Northwest, Suite 154. But wherever you are, they can help. Stop in and see them. They also feature a full line of accessories and refurbished equipment. Give them a call today at 770-693-0769 or check them out at computersplususa.com. You'll be glad you did. It is Falcons Flight Edition number 25 rolling along and Brian Kiffin flying solo this week. Robert Taylor is on vacation as we referenced a couple of times a little bit earlier. He will rejoin us on the next episode, hopefully, as off-season developments whatnot 
continue, well, to develop as we go along here. And the offseason, as I talked about with Scott Johns, is really darn near as entertaining as the regular season is. And, you know, sometimes the offseason is as compelling as the games themselves are. And from that standpoint, even though the NFL has its blemishes, wrinkles, and problems these days, boy, that's certainly a good thing. Joining us now via the telephone, a guy we know very well. You haven't heard him a whole lot on this show, but he worked with us extensively on our previous podcast, The State of Sports Georgia, here. It is the commissioner, Mark Rich, who is an avid Falcons fan and obviously a member of that Bird Gang tailgate crew, as we talked about Mark, good to have you aboard, man, to begin with. Obviously, uh, we see each other fairly regularly, but in this format and on this show, the only time people have heard you is on that hit of the week piece that we did way back early in the 2020 season. But as we digest what they've done so far in this offseason, the Falcons, we know all about the coaching staff and all the administrative changes and everything else. We know where they are from a salary cap perspective. It's troubling as someone who would cover the team, and I'm sure it's troubling to you as a fan of the team, that some of the cap casualties they've had to make based on where they are monetarily have involved position groups where they really need some help. James Carpenter is a good example. Running game is still a question mark. And of course, you know, you cut Alan Bailey, who's on that D-line, and pressuring quarterbacks has been a priority and one they haven't achieved for a long, long time. So it's kind of a precarious spot they find themselves in right here. Oh, yeah. First of all, Brian, great to be back. I'm so excited. But, yeah, it's a uh, it's a difficult spot, and there's so many question marks for us as a fan. Somebody who reads everything they can on online and, and just basically tries to stay up on top of what the team's doing. You know, you do lose a Ricardo Allen and an Allen Bailey, and you don't know what's in the future for Alex Mack or Keanu Neal yet, and you are – losing people like Todd Gurley is an unrestricted free agent there so there's so many positions that we need help with and you know you can't judge the draft ahead of time and figure out what what kind of holes you're going to be able to fill there so free agency is just honestly right now it is baffling you you look at the money situation and you don't know how we're going to be able to afford anybody even though they tell you that you know once certain players are let go this much money is going to be freed up but it is really weird to think about all the holes that we need to fill and how we're going to be able to do it. There's tons of names you know in the free agent market this year, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything, as you can see in our past. Free agent signings that we've had that have come in with big names and high expectations, and I'll just use Dante Fowler as an example. While he may have been injured or whatever, did not perform near like we expected him to, and that, that pass rush was completely abysmal last year. So that's one thing that we, I hope that we really focus in on and, you know, with new schemes with DMPs coming in on defense, I think he's going to go look for hopefully some of his own guys and people that really fit what he's trying to do. Obviously, we got ourselves in some trouble in the past trying to pick players that are going to fit our schemes and stuff like that rather than getting best players we could get. But one name that keeps popping up is Jarrell Casey, just released by the Broncos. He actually was traded. He played under Pease and with Arthur Smith with the Titans, and they traded him for a seventh-round draft pick to the Broncos, which is kind of weird. People didn't really understand what was going on there. There's something going on behind the scenes. But in 2019, he made his fifth straight Pro Bowl from the defensive lineman position. And in 18 and 19, when Dean Pease was there with him, he had 12 sacks, 16 tackles for a loss, three fumbles forced, three fumble recoveries and, you know, made two of those Pro Bowls. 
in those two years with him. And that's a guy that, even though he may be a little bit past his prime, is somebody who, in my mind, and I'm guessing probably a lot of people who have seen him play or, or even know who he is, somebody that you, you can see sitting next to Grady Jarrett and just causing a whole lot of havoc with two of them there. But yeah, there's, man, there's so many people available in this free agency market. And, you know, a lot of the names that you hear, you wonder what kind of price tag is going to come attached to them if some of these guys are finally willing to take a break and get that veteran minimum to come to Atlanta and try to do something special here. You know, you hear names like J.J. Watt, even though he doesn't seem to be on the Falcons' radar or vice versa. But, you know, a guy like that, if he's parted ways with the Texans, if something he wanted to do was come here and be a part of a pass rush, I see you right there. Immediately, your locker room is better, and that guy still got some left in the tank. But older, you never know with the injuries, and you don't want to waste space on the team with somebody just because they have a great aim if they're not going to be able to hit the field. But some of the guys, and I'll just go ahead and just put this out there real fast because, as you know, I'm a huge, huge, huge UGA fan, and there's one free agent that would just make six, seven years ago me just jump through the roof, and that's A.J. Green as a free agent right now. And I know we're not by any means starving at the wide receiver position, but if we could get him on an affordable deal and I could actually see A.J. Green and Julio Jones line up on the same field as each other, I would lose my mind personally. And I'm sure a lot of people in Georgia might as well. Not necessarily a position of super need for us, obviously, with Julio and Calvin coming back and the emergence of Russell Gage. But you see quarterback position, a lot of talk about us maybe addressing something like that draft, but for the immediate need at quarterback, there's, you know, you have names like Tyrod Taylor, Mitch Trubisky, Jacoby Brissett, Andy Dalton, Ken Newton is a name that I heard, and I just kind of scoffed for a second, and then I was like... Rob would love that. Yeah, no, I know, and this is a lot easier to say this while he's not there to hear him scoff the same way I would, or I did, excuse me, but, you know, you think about Cam Newton taking a sweetheart deal to be your backup quarterback and coming back to Atlanta, that's something that I think a lot of people would probably sneer at at first, but potentially enjoy it if you can get him as an affordable backup quarterback, you can do a lot worse, but again, with him, there's no telling what his wear and tear is looking like these days. It didn't look that great in New England, so who knows? From a fan perspective and somebody who avidly follows the team, as financially difficult as it would be, where do you stand on the potential of just blowing the thing up and trying to start over from scratch? And I mean, you couldn't financially trade Ryan and Julio from the standpoint of what it would cost you in dead money and the impact for a couple of years down the road, but Considering what you could get for both, if you could find a viable way to do it, would you blow it up? So a few years ago, I would just dismiss this and not even talk about it, but it just matters what we're getting in return. I'm a loyal Falcons fan, and I love Matt Ryan, and I love Julio. Got both of their jerseys, wear them all the time. But it depends on what we're getting in return. You know, we paid a king's ransom to get Julio. I know we're not going to get the same return on him, but we've got most of that return on the field. Matt Ryan is a guy that I think is constantly bashed for the wrong reasons. And a lot of blame is put on him because he's a quarterback. But again, like you put an offensive line in front of that guy, 
and a coordinator who plays to his strengths, you get an MVP season and a trip to the Super Bowl. I mean, I know that's the horse we've beat to death on the previous podcast, but to me, it all depends on what we're getting back. I'm yeah. not married to either one of those guys. I'm married to the South. Yeah. I love them, and I want them to be a part of the team. But whatever makes this team better and puts us in a better position to win, I'm all for that. And as hard as that is to say sometimes, and I feel like I've defended Matt Ryan tooth and nail and you know Julio's drop passes and injuries tooth and nail and lack of touchdown production, it would be tough to see those guys leave without like really achieving their potential. But I'm a Falcons fan, so whatever would make this team better, it's just like – you know, if, if somebody's going to offer us a whole bunch of picks or a great player to move up in the draft to come get our pick, please do it. Trade back in the draft. Whatever's going to make this team better. Mark, as I look at my watch here, with the absence of Rob, it's going to be difficult, but I have to do my best. And you're no stranger to this segment because you participated in this heavily. In fact, you were responsible for many of the laughs that we had in our original conception of this upcoming segment. But channeling my best Robert Taylor. It is swirly time, swirly time, swirly time. The Falcons flight crew is intolerant of jackassery. There is a special place where morons are plunged headlong into a blue vortex of irony. Where imbeciles are irrigated, dumbasses are drenched, and abject idiocy rinsed away, where pompous assery comes face to face with porcelain. I love that part. Where chlorine, tidy bowl, <laughs> and bleach administer swift, swirling justice. This is our Game of Thrones, where mindsets and hairstyles are forever altered. It is the Falcon's Flight Swirly segment. Now let's get this party started. Ah, yes. Once again, we had to dust it. We have polished the handle. We have lifted the lid. And about to force idiots into the place where the swirlies are hid. How about that little bit of poetry? <laughs> this is going to be amazing. <laughs> That's a, all right, so I always go for the obscure here, as you well know. And this time, not going to be an exception. We go all the way down to Collier County, Florida. For those of you who don't know it, it is the Naples area. A Florida couple was caught stealing from a Costco after stuffing lamb down their pants and fish, clams, and crab legs into a purse, investigators said. The Collier County Sheriff's Office said a witness on Thursday saw Vito Gentile, who, by the way, is 76 years old, fold a package of halibut in half and place it in his wife Lucrezia Gentile's purse. One of my favorite names, Lucrezia. This was reported by WBBH. Deputies also later found clams and crab legs in her purse. Vito Gentile also was seen placing a rack of lamb down his pants. The couple, who live part-time in Florida and part-time in New York, walked through the store, then paid for several items, and left. Deputies later stopped the couple and found the lamb in Vito's pants and the seafood in Lucrezia's purse. <laughs> the stolen items were valued 
at $146.97. The couple was arrested and charged with retail theft, according to arrest records. Oh, my. Well, it always seems to happen in Florida, for one thing. And once you get past that little acknowledgement, the only thing I have left to say is, Hey, Vito, is that rack of lamb in your pants, or are you glad to see me? Get over here. That's it, boy. Get in there nice and deep. Don't nobody go in the bathroom for about 35, 45 minutes. Somebody open the window. You see the peanut? Dead giveaway. And I'm hard-pressed to determine which of these two was the peanut. Kamish, over to you. <laughs> oh, man. Were they making dinner for Jameis Winston? I was just going to say, uh, shout out to Jameis Winston here. New method, maybe. It'll give him an idea. <laughs> well, shockingly enough, when you told me about this, I went to Florida as well, and I also went to Naples. <laughs> oh, great. Um, Police say they responded to the home of Joanna Zelinsky that she shares with her sister around 10.30 p.m. on February 11th due to a 911 call. Zelinsky's sister told officers that they had been drinking together, and at some point she got tired and wanted to go to sleep while her sister stayed up and continued drinking. Records show the victim said Zelinsky went crazy and attacked her with an EpiPen, stabbing her multiple times, <laughs> including on her left thigh, where a giant well is formed. When asked about the incident, police say Zelensky replied, I'm allergic to drunk, so I injected her with the EpiPen so she wouldn't be drunk anymore. What the hell's the big deal? <laughs> First responders arrived on the scene. Said, Go ahead. No, you really cannot. First responders arrived on the scene said the victim wasn't actually injected with any medication, uh, just stabbed with the actual EpiPen, which was prescribed to her sister. But I'm guessing not for that manner. Zelensky, 62, we have some older arrestees here today, was ultimately arrested on battery domestic violence. My goodness. Yikes. Well, all I really have left to say here is, hey, Joanne, a head-first trip to the Swirler is in the plan. Get over here. That's it, boy. Get in there, nice and deep. That's unbelievable. <laughs> the reason that bad things happen to you is because you're a dumbass. And because you think an EpiPen will cure drunkenness. My goodness. Mark, man, it's always a pleasure. It's good to have you aboard and good to get your perspectives on some of this stuff. And obviously, we'll reach out to you, you know, as time warrants and as things move forward and developments as importantly move forward. But definitely just the tip of the iceberg and what promises to be not only an interesting, but also a dynamic and eventful offseason for the Atlanta Falcons. Man, absolutely my pleasure, and thank you so much for having me. That is the Commissioner Mark Rich spending some time with us here on edition number 25 of Falcons Flight. I am Brian Giffen. Robert Taylor is on vacation. He will rejoin us when we convene the next time to bring you the next Falcons Flight, and that'll be event-driven as well. We will see how things unfold as we go forward the next couple of weeks as we are steaming 
toward the league year, which begins on, ironically, St. Patrick's Day, March the 17th. And we will have a bunch more developments going forward, and as a result, we'll have a bunch more episodes and editions of Falcon's Flight. That will do it for edition number 25. Again, I'm Brian Giffen. Robert Taylor, my normal co-host, not here vacationing in the mountains somewhere, but he'll be back soon. We remind you, Falcon's Flight is a presentation of Believe Entertainment, the number one site for podcast professionals. Do you believe? We certainly do. Thanks a bunch for joining us. Like us, share us, and the like. We are out. Thank you for listening to Falcon's Flight. Tune in throughout the season for updates, insights, and analysis on the Dirty Birds. Falcon's Flight is a production of Believe Entertainment. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.